Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by financial expert Jasper Smith. Jasper has been working for over a decade in the financial industry in an array of capacities. He's worked with lots of organizations that focus on promoting financial literacy to underserved communities. So I'll let him tell you about those organizations and all that they they have done and, and that he has done and is still doing. So Jasper, thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome. And I'm super pumped up about this conversation we're going to have today. Well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm originally born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. I'm youngest of three. Um, I attended a historically black college and university. I think the tops in the world. <laughs> North Carolina A&T State University, Aggie Pride. And upon leaving college, I just had this curiosity about money. And that led me to a career in financial services upon graduation. And I moved to Philadelphia for rotational program. And so got to Philadelphia, had a wonderful year in that job. And then my next role brought me out to California, which is where I currently reside. I'm based out of the uh, my I'm in Oakland, so Bay Area. Have been here for quite a while now. It's kind of where I've been, kind of laying my roots. Got married. I have a five-month-year-old daughter, and that curiosity just continued to to drive all that I do. So people constantly ask, "Well, what do you do?" And I, I kind of hate that question, but I've learned that you kind of have got to have different things to to share because some sometimes the title doesn't mean much. So. Technically, I'm a financial planner. Some people will call me a financial advisor. Some people, I'm just their insurance agent. Others, I'm their investment advisor. For some, I just help them with their credit. So I'm like their credit counselor. And honestly, I joke a lot, but sometimes I'm people's financial therapist. So people have lived with, we can call it trauma. There's financial stress. And when I think about people's overall well-being, we understand the physical aspect of it. We understand as of late, like the mental aspect and how important that is. And then I think the third you know, component is really the strongest one is that financial. And, and so I have just learned that when one of those is off, like you're just not right. And, and I think as you go through life, you go through these various seasons. And, and as I continued over my years interacting and engaging with thousands of people, I just kept wondering why, like, why are we repeating some of the same things generation after generation? And so having worked in financial services for all these years, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what do I do in addition to maybe selling somebody a financial product? Uh, so I launched my own company, which is called the Bill Wealth Movement. And what's really driving me and it really stems from this curiosity is, well, now I've got this, I got this vision where I feel like everything that I'm doing is going to help generational poverty for everyone. So their kids, kids, kids can live a life of privilege. And when I say that, people are kind of taken aback, like, wow, like, what does that mean? 
And, and let me give you an example of what I mean. And this is, you know, the work that I do, I'm really focused on trying to help disrupt these kind of generational curses that are plaguing families all across the country or the world for that matter. So I have a client who she's a grandmother. She's in her early 70s. She's not retired yet, but she still has a student loan she's paying off. And it's not a large balance, but she just for some reason never paid it off throughout her working years. And she has a daughter who's in her late 40s. The daughter also has student loans. And then there's a granddaughter. (laughs) She has a student loan. And I think about all this education that these women have obtained. I mean, they have more degrees than me. And I think about did the definitely the granddaughter, but did the could the mother have done better for her daughter? So now that the granddaughter doesn't have to deal with these student loans. And I think that just comes with planning. And and so a lot of times I, I tell people or I try to remind them that I'm a financial planner because I really want to hear the plan on how you were going to do something drastically different than what's been happening in your family or community or slightly different that's still going to change the game a little bit. And what I try to get people to think about is it's never going to be perfect. And I think that's the struggle when it comes to financial planning in general is that people are looking for this kind of silver bullet. They're looking for the lottery ticket And those are helpful, but we sometimes don't learn if we don't go through a process of planning. And let me kind of give people an example of your capabilities of planning. If any of your listeners were thinking about a vacation, I guarantee you they can come up with an elaborate plan on how this vacation will be executed from, you know, what type of clothes am I going to pack on this trip? Where am I going? What mode of transportation will I take? What excursions will I take when I get on said vacation? How long am I staying? Where are we going to eat? And so you go through this whole process of planning and then you go. And generally you have a good time if you plan out a really good vacation. So I want people to get comfortable with talking about money and putting some of that same energy into their finances. And I know this isn't going to happen overnight. I'm just one of many financial experts who's trying to do his part to help create a more, we'll call it financially literate society, a more financially astute, financially comfortable, more, I would say more people who are financially well, if we're talking about wellness. And so I I think there's just so much to unpack. And I mean, that's what gets me excited every day to wake up and know that Something I'm going to do each and every day is going to make an impact on somebody's life, whether they become a client or not, whether they engage with me or not. I just know that the work I'm doing is going to pay tremendous dividends for someone out there. Well, to show people how qualified you are, to talk about some of the organizations that you have worked with to promote financial literacy in underserved communities. Yeah. So what I try to do on some of these efforts I don't like doing free marketing for some of these firms, but these I've worked for some very, we'll call them household names in the banking industry, in the insurance industry, and also in the investment industry. Uh, So I have just an extensive history and training with companies that have been doing this for for many years. And thinking about all those experiences at each one of those stops along the way, um, I took it upon myself because... I figured it just made sense for me to learn more about my craft. I'm licensed. So I have 
variety of investment securities licenses. So for me to be someone's investment advisor, like I had to take a test or have had to take multiple tests. And so that that comes with the 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 job, if you will, the insurance side, you have to take tests to be able to sell certain types of insurance products. I even worked on some point trying to figure out where do I want to specialize? And and so it was this one moment in my career, I pursued what's called the certified retirement counselor designation. It's not a large designation that's highly respected, but it was just one of these things that shed a brighter, bright, I'll say a brighter light on retirement, because I assume that that if people are working hard and doing what they have to do, there's going to be a that they don't want to work. And so got the designation. So when people say, hey, I need help with retirement planning, maybe I could be of service to you. Um, as for the nonprofits, I mean, there's there's a long list of those. Ah, gosh. Uh, yeah, just I, I was trying to figure out when I looked at different nonprofit organizations, you know, who is kind of really doing that legwork. And for some, they were focused on what we'll call it more of the financial basics, like your budgeting, the credit and I really saw that 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 focus is probably the most important as I look at the entire landscape of financial planning. Some people still to this day, well-to-do clients that I have, highly educated, high incomes. Sometimes we just didn't get that foundation. So we earn a lot, but we still live check to check. And and people say, well, how is that possible? Well, if you were never trained, you, you don't know how to live with all that income coming in. I mean, think think about it this way. You need a license to drive a car. So before anybody gets behind the wheel, generalizing, I know people don't get licenses, but generally speaking, you have to get a license in order to drive. So you go through a process and learn before you're able to, to drive. But when we're dealing with financial matters, there's no license. You just kind of wake up and you put pieces together, learn from the those closest to you. So if those around you, let's, let's, let's call it your immediate family, your friends, your, your, your community, if those people closest to you aren't teaching you those foundational basic things that some people should have had, then you go through your entire life never really truly understanding why financial planning is important, why budgeting is important, why having good credit is important. So just taking all, all those experiences with, with the private companies the nonprofit organizations, for-profit organizations. And I continue to try to say, you know what, there's there's a lot of information that's being spread, but what information will somebody consume and then act on? So there's a lot of free information, if you will. What are we doing with that information that's out there? That's the, the scary part for me is that some people, honestly, you don't need me. You don't need me for everything, right? I think there's a lot of things that people can do on their own. And I'm always trying to encourage people. Like, I want to empower you to to get involved with your money, to understand how things work. And then once you hit that, let's call it the roadblock, the, the, the point where you just can't make any more sense of it on your own, that's when you connect with a professional. Now, for some, maybe they need me from day one, but wherever you are on your journey, I find it hard to believe you're going to be financially successful doing it completely on your own. So give people some tips who might want to start investing. What should they start at? Yeah. So that's always the question. It, and I just got to say this because I'm a professional. Do you know your risk tolerance? Right. So, so 
a lot of people get a lot of investment advice from from various social media outlets. And it looks great. Stories are great. The, the videos are great. But do you know if you're even willing or able to handle the risk? So the example I give is, let's say everybody listening to this episode was looking for a tip. And I said, OK, let, let's buy an op- curveball. I'll use you. Right. So let's let's say you had a fund and you're like, hey, I want everybody to invest a thousand dollars. I need somebody to know that what if this fund that Curveball is running lost that thousand dollars you put in the next day? How would that make you feel? For some, you might have needed that money. <laughs> Maybe you didn't have the thousand dollars to even start with. But we need to know and understand our risk preference versus, you know, let's say Curveball has a fund, you have the fund and want this thousand dollars, but it's going to give you a, a modest return of, let's say, one percent. Some people will say, great, at least I know I'm going to get something. Others may say 1% isn't anything. That's not even going to keep pace with inflation. So if I'm having an investment conversation with anybody, I want you to understand your risk preference. So any professional you work with should take you through what's called a risk tolerance or risk preference questionnaire. They may call it something different, but we really have to assess, do you understand risk? So staying along the lines of investing, how much do you have to work with? A mentor was told me, and I tell this to all my clients, you should never invest money you need, ever. If you need the money, you should not be investing. Yet, people are looking, again, for that lottery ticket, right? If I, if I do this investment, if I do this $1,000, it might turn into 2000 It could. But how soon do you need that money? Because, again, now, now there's that stress of if it doesn't work out, you're going to feel some kind of way that your $1,000 didn't grow the way you thought it would. So I got to think about, like, can I afford that, that $1,000? And if so, great. And if I do need that thousand, I should not be investing. And I think we kind of co-mingle saving and investing, right? Saving is safe and secure. You're saving, not going to grow much, but the money will be there. And investment, you can lose it all. So knowing, okay, how much am I willing to potentially lose for the opportunity for that money to actually grow? The third thing I would say is how long do you want to be in this investment? So is this a, I'm trying to get rich quick, good luck. Those are always going to be risky options. And usually the the entry point in terms of how much you got to put up is going to be a substantial amount of money. So maybe you can't afford to get into this super risky thing that's going to produce this maybe incredible return. And, and I would also say just opportunity sounds too good to be true. It probably is. And yet people still just, they're hoping and wishing that this thing is going to work out. But just if it doesn't pass the sniff test, <laughs> You know, it's just not a good look, but I've got to know, okay, if I'm investing, how long is it? Maybe it's a year, maybe it's five years. If I'm thinking about retirement planning, then it's going to be maybe. So I need to understand and know that time horizon. Okay. So again, just kind of recap, if I'm thinking about investing in anything, I got to think about what's my risk preference. What is the, uh, the time horizon? And also, how much do I plan to start with? Like those, I think, are the big three that I would walk somebody through if they were curious about investing. I'm not just going to say, hey, you gave me $1,000, let's invest it today. I haven't diagnosed the situation. Like I would be doing you a disservice without asking you the proper questions. But what I find is that people continue to jump into investments without getting enough information, asking enough questions. And then we kind of have this, I'll call it this bad taste in our mouth about taking risk because we didn't do enough of the legwork front and then we lost our money. Well, let's talk about luck. 
life insurance. G- okay. Give some people who, who might be looking to purchase life insurance some tips or at least best practices or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. One of my, I like these questions, Curveball, because these are actually kind of in alignment with, with my, I call it my credo. So you've already touched on investments. And I think one, one of my major things is just be clear about how you're going to invest. Like just be clear whether you're going to do it yourself or leverage technology in these applications, or you're working with somebody like myself as an investment advisory client, just you need to be crystal clear. And when you don't have crystal clear, like when you don't have clarity around your investment strategy, that's a sign of, of you know, a sign for concern. With insurance, the question I pose to most people is, would you or somebody in your family need to do a crowdfunding campaign when you go off the glory? If you don't know the answer to that question, we need to have a life insurance conversation. I'm sick of seeing the, you know, we we got the campaign set up because, you know, such and such just died unexpectedly. You know, the church is trying to do some things. We're trying to do a fish fry. And honestly, you're not going to sell enough fish plates. You're not going to wash enough cars. You're not going to sell enough pies. You need to get life insurance. When I start this conversation, it's doing the crowdfunding thing is optional. If people just did the actual work of speaking with a legitimate, qualified life insurance agent, doesn't have to be a financial planner, but just somebody who sells insurance. And they should walk you through this process of getting you to understand what life insurance do you have, if any, through your employer? That's usually going to be the first line of defense for most people. Generally speaking, it's not enough. But if you're looking for affordability, that's going to be the most affordable. Even if you have to take a little bit of money out your paycheck to get some additional coverage, it's still relatively, I'll say, affordable. So we want to look at what you have for your job and then really say, okay, well, how much do I really need? So anybody who is thinking about life insurance, the first question you really want to answer is how much do you need? So you take a look to see what you have for the job. You look at all your other assets that you could liquidate or that your family would liquidate if you died. What's the number? That's the first step. How much life insurance do you need? Second part or second question, what type of insurance? So again, the first question is always how much? If anybody's listening to this and your insurance agent just shows up and starts showing you numbers because you said you can afford it, run or call me (laughs) because I want to, I got to figure out how much you need because unfortunately people have bought insurance and it wasn't enough because nobody ever said, Hey, how much do you need? They just said, Hey, can you afford this? Great. Let's go ahead and get it in force. Nothing wrong with that inherently, but I don't want you to buy a policy that wasn't enough. And then you go through life and then have to reapply and get more insurance later. I'd rather have the discussion up front and get you the right amount of coverage up front. Then I know we've we've satisfied the number for the rest of your life, but everybody's a little bit different. So number two was the type of insurance. So there's two two main ones. There's term and there's permanent. And, And I'll explain those briefly. Term is like renting the insurance for a specific amount of time. So I need insurance for 20 years. Okay, great. You can get a term insurance policy for 20 years. You're protected during that 20 year time frame. 20 years in one day, you don't have life insurance, but it covered the need for that 20 year window. Now, term insurance is a lot more affordable than permanent. And I'll explain shortly, but term insurance, if it's helpful for anybody, think of it as like renting an apartment. When you live in an apartment, you pay your rent, you have a roof over your head. When you leave the apartment, that's it. 
hopefully that's helpful, right? So you're renting the insurance for a specific period of time, and then you no longer have coverage after that date. It's affordable. So it makes sense for the person who says, I have young kids. I want to make sure I have as much insurance possible until they get out of school, like college, or maybe even post, you know, advanced degrees, whatever they want to do. You say, I want to have enough coverage because I have the biggest insurance need. Well, I also need affordability because I have kids and all these obligations. Term insurance is usually a great vehicle as a starting point. Now, most people say, well, term is great, but because I don't have it for the rest of my life, what do I do then? Well, now we're talking about the permanent life insurance. And just for the sake of time, I won't go through all the different types in terms of defining the permanent types of insurance, but you may have heard a whole life, index universal life, variable universal life, and there are a ton of others, but you know, you've heard a lot of these terms. Look, you have an option on which permanent one you select, and it's really kind of based off your risk. So there's kind of that investment, a little bit of that investment conversation we need to have about some of the performance in some of these permanent policies. So a permanent insurance policy is essentially you having the insurance for your entire life. So literally until you go off to glory, you will have this coverage. Now, because you're going to have it for an indefinite amount of time, because we don't know when you're actually going to die, the policy is going to be a lot more expensive than that term insurance. But again, the term may run out in 20 years. You may live another 40. So having that permanent coverage is going to allow you to have that insurance for the remainder of your life. So depending on what you're trying to do, some people like the permanent, but can't afford it right away. So what I profess is get the coverage. Maybe it's just a term to start out, but a lot of term policies today have a feature that is called a conversion or is convertible into a permanent policy. And the reason those are important is that you don't have to go through the underwriting process. So you got approved when you were 25 and you were healthy. So your premium was pretty low for the term. But let's say 10 years later, you're like, you know what? I do need to make sure I have some coverage for the rest of my life. Now, your age is still a factor 10 years later, but you may still be the best underwriting class. So they're like, you know what? You're a little bit older, but we're going to look at the health rating you got 10 years ago, and then we'll issue you a brand new policy. Now, it's still going to be a little bit more expensive, but you don't have to go through the whole underwriting process again. And so that saves people a lot of money. So the other cool thing, this will be the last thing I'll say about permanent insurance. There is a component that is called cash value. Now, this is where the internet blows up with people who are like, did you know you can do all this stuff with life insurance? So let me give it to the game like in a simple way for you to understand. I like to say that permanent insurance is like owning a home, right? Because you're owning this insurance for your entire life. So like a home, you expect to be in it for a long time. So you pay your mortgage. And over time, as you pay down the loan, you hope the, the home appreciates in value, which essentially builds equity. So that equity is an asset that people use to remodel the house. They take out the money to put their kids through college. They go on vacations. Some people take it out to pay off credit card debt. But it's, it's an asset that you can use because it's built some value over those years. So that same type of you know structure of an asset that's based off of another, you know, this house, these permanent policies build this cash value, which is essentially the equity in the policy. So if you've had a policy for 20 years and it's been building this cash value. That's an asset that you can use. So people use insurance 
you know, values for putting kids through college, paying off debt. Some people use or leverage life insurance as a retirement vehicle. So it has those same elements of you're building this equity or this cash value, and you can leverage that as an asset. The, the one thing in the disclaimer that I'll throw out there is that if you see anybody talking about these permanent insurance policies and how you can borrow, just know it doesn't happen overnight. That's the one thing that I will share. It's great, but you have to put in a decent amount of money and give yourself a pretty good time horizon before you can really borrow from these policies. But the internet will have you thinking you can just set up a permanent policy and borrow tomorrow and it does not work that way. So give people some budgeting tips and and also best practices on speaking to spouse, family members, people like that about money. Ooh. All right. So tackle the budget first. And then you said the second one was around like your spouse or family. Yeah. Just, just, just talking to your family about money. Yeah. So the B word, which, you know, pe- people might have cringed when you said that curveball. <laughs> so people have. Like you just have to know what's coming in and what's going out. That's all the budget is. What money's coming in, what's going out. I am not a real stickler, my clients with budgets because they don't do them. There are very few people who like doing a budget. Very few. I'm a financial planner and I don't necessarily like doing it. I have a budgeting strategy that I use that works for me. And so with budgeting, the one thing that I'll, I'll recommend is find the strategy that works for you. And that strategy could be pen and paper. It still works. That strategy could be logging into your bank or credit union and leveraging their technology to kind of see what you've been spending, right? So a lot of them have the tools that can help you. Maybe it's an app. There are a ton of apps. I won't go into detail. Just search budgeting apps or tools online. A ton of them will pop up. Try the app. Try whatever you can that's going to help you to have this level of comfort of knowing here's what's coming in and here's what's going out. You've got to track it somehow, some way, and that way you will know where you fall. The problem is nobody wants to do a budget. So I like to tell people that budget will work for anybody if they use it. It's like it's a tool. So if I had a hammer lying on a table, it's useless. It's just laying there. It's a hammer. It's great. We know what it could do. But if I don't pick that hammer up and swing it, the hammer is pretty much useless to me. That's the budget in a nutshell. You have just got to find what is going to work for you and give yourself a whole bunch of grace. You are going to fail at budgeting over and over and over, but do not give up. Keep trying to find strategy that works for you. And once you find that strategy, whatever it might be, run with it, commit to it. That's how you figure out budget. Just got to find what's going to work for you. So to the next point or question around, like, how do you talk to your family or your your spouse, significant other? You got to pick a good day, pick a good day and and give the person or your families like some notice. Like, don't just spring it up on people. Like money's one of those topics you can't just bring up randomly. Like you got to kind of massage them and say, look, we got to have a talk at some point, but I'm going to figure out what we want to talk about. Like get, get them kind of excited about wanting to have the conversation, but don't just pop it up on them. And it is going to be tough until you try. And you may not be successful on your first attempt, but you got to keep trying. For some, I recommend like schedule a time far out enough, like put it on everybody's calendar and, and do it. 
either a place where you can break bread, you know, have a beverage or two. Like you want to do it in a setting that's comfortable because again, money is a taboo subject and people come with all their baggage and they don't want to, they don't want to share it with you, but you got to make them feel comfortable and try to set up this, you know, kind of space where there is no judgment. You know, we already know that there's the embarrassment, the fear. So if we already know that ahead of time, let's just all make a commitment other to be honest and transparent about what we're going to share, because that's the only way we're going to be able to move forward. We cannot keep holding this stuff in and expecting these incredible financial results. Like we've got to at some point get it out. You know, if I if I have that significant other, you know, even whether you're seriously dating, you think they're going to be the next one, you're going to get married. Yo, you better have a conversation before y'all get married. I did it with my wife. I made sure that we were not going to argue about money. That was not going to be something we were going to bring into our household. And I'm thankful that my wife was willing to join me on this journey, this, this Bill Wealth journey that I'm on. And I was very clear about, we will not be that couple that doesn't talk money. Not talking about money is going to break up your relationship. It's going to happen at some point. So you might as well just get ahead of it. And if you don't, just know that other person is always thinking that you are doing something that's not beneficial for the team, for the family, for the unit, for the household. So as as as, as much as we're afraid to talk, don't succumb to this reactionary stuff that typically happens in houses. So something has to happen that's usually negative that prompts us to want to have this conversation. Let's get proactive and let's just set up a time and say, hey, babe. Need to holler at you about money. We got a few things we need to work out. And if you're the person that's offering up, offer up a lot more. Hey, look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I got issues with. And that way, the, once you tell somebody your issues, especially this is your family, y'all, you're going to keep seeing them. But you know, once you open up and start to share, at some point, they're going to be like, why does he tell me this? Because he cares or she cares about getting this stuff in the open so then you can work on improving it. Like people not talking about money it is what keeps these people living this life of poverty. I mean, I, I tell people I'm working on disrupting that, but that disruption does not happen if you don't talk about it. And if you aren't courageous enough to do it on your own, reach out to me. I will help guide you through this conversation. I, I, I don't give up. My life's journey is to help people figure out how, how are we going to disrupt some of these things that have been happening generation after generation after generation. And it's netting the same results. So every year, our family is never really improving. Why is that? That's a problem. Let's figure it out together. So I think it's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take, you know, people, they got to be willing to be vulnerable, be honest, be transparent. Only after that, can you then have that conversation and begin to move forward. So let's talk about how people can improve their credit. Mm. Yeah, credit is a big one. Credit is one of the most misunderstood things that exists and has a huge bearing on our livelihood. So I, I always joke, I mean, but it's the truth. Credit is one of those things that is very discriminatory in nature. And if you aren't aware of your credit, you're not there to defend yourself. So knowing where you stand with credit is, is super important for anybody listening to this. I am not a fan of paying for your score. I'm not a fan of paying for your credit reports. I think if you can just get a score and you can get them for free, the website that I always share is annualcreditreport.com. You can check your report. You don't get a score, but you can check your reports from all three of the credit bureaus. I believe it's now weekly. It used to be once a year. 
But with the pandemic, they just started allowing people to check their credit reports more frequently. I don't think you need to check it every week, but knowing where you stand with all three of the credit bureaus is important. And I do mean all three, because if, if everything's good at TransUnion and Equifax, Experian could have some negative stuff that could be pulling your credit score down. So I want people to get the full, know what's being reported about you. The number is what it is, but I know if I, if I can get you to look at your credit reports and begin to clean things up, or you can see that you're, you're nearing some of your balances in terms of that, that limit, then you'll know that your credit is being dragged down because of these negative items being reported, or you're, you're very close to all of your credit limits month over month. Maybe you don't have a long enough credit history. You know, there's a lot of things you will learn by doing a solid review of just your credit reports, and then you will know how to tell respond. I'm not a fan of paying these thousands of dollars for credit repair, maybe a few hundred here and there if you're working with a really good specialist, but somebody who can not only coach you through the review, but the like follow up. Like you get sometimes, and I've done this and I do this for my clients, I just follow up to hold them accountable. Because if you say you're going to work on paying this debt back and we come up with like a debt repayment strategy, I got to hold you to that. Some people just aren't able to do it themselves. But credit is one of these things you can mess up, clean it up, mess it up, clean it up, mess it up, clean it up. And you can do that forever in life. Goal is once you get, and I'm always professing, I want to get all three of your credit scores over a 740. It's not that hard to do, at least from my standpoint, from the clients that I've helped. It's not that hard, but we just not. We're not doing enough of the right things to improve the score or we're falling for these scams and schemes thinking we're going to get these quick boosts. But credit takes time, y'all. If you see anybody that says, I can guarantee that I can get your scores by X amount of points in like 30 days, it's a scam because credit takes about 30 days for them to even report the next update. So you at least you're at least looking at 60 days. But people I've seen the scams. Look, it takes a little bit of time. It, I'm not saying what they're preaching doesn't actually work. It just doesn't work that fast. Unless you know somebody at one of those credit bureaus that can pull a lever, hit a button, do something for you, it's going to take, you know, give yourself some time when you're working on repairing your credit. Or if you're just starting, you don't have to get a credit card to start. A lot of people think I got to go get a credit card. I got to take out a loan. There are, there are these products called credit builder loans, and they are a great way for people who are rebuilding or starting their credit or maybe need something more positive to be reported, you do this credit builder loan and all you're essentially doing is making payments and that payment is being reported to all three of the credit bureaus. That's it. And then return all this money you've been paying essentially goes into a savings account. And then you get that money back after you've made whatever arrangement you've made in terms of number of payments, you get the money back in terms of a savings. So it's a way to build your credit. It's kind of a forced savings mechanism. But you know, credit, again, I'm going to remind people, go to annualcreditreport.com and take a look at all three of your credit reports. Just you want to check for everything. Like, is your name spelled right? Do they have the right addresses, the right phone numbers? And, and those three things are usually the biggest errors on most people's report. Misspelled name, bad phone numbers, bad addresses. That's stuff you don't want to be reported. So as we think about our credit in general, I don't want you to ever be surprised when you go to get a loan. If you ever are going to take out a loan and you're surprised by what somebody finds, that's on you. You got to go do the work ahead of time. So if you know your credit is a little iffy, don't go do it. Just give yourself a little bit more time, work on those reports, 
figure out a strategy on how you're going to make payments or settle things or dispute things. And then, then when you, you've cleaned some things up a bit, then it'll make sense to, to get whatever that you know item is that you need to borrow for. Go ahead and throw out your website and contact info. So if people need to contact you, they can. Yeah. So I will actually drive everybody to my website. It's thebuildwealthmovement.com. So again, that's thebuildwealthmovement.com. And if anybody wants to take a look at, you know, what I've done or how, I guess how I do it, I have a blog section that I would encourage people to check out. I'm one of those guys that most of the information that I share, especially on my website, it's, it's evergreen. It's timeless. So no matter where you are in life, you might be able to benefit from it or somebody else could benefit from it today. You know, I'm not necessarily trying to be the guy that's always current because the media cycle just moves too fast for me. But when I talk about strategy, there are just certain things that if we do them, a lot of people will be in a better financial position. So, so again, my website is thebuildwealthmovement.com. You may see some things out there. You know, I like to, my alias is, is Mr. Build Wealth. And, and so Mr. Bill Wealth is working on, again, disrupting generational poverty for everyone so their kids, kids, kids can live a life of privilege. So if there's anything that I can assist you with, questions you need answered, you know, feel free to, there's a contact us section at the bottom of my webpage. I will definitely reach back out to you. We'll set up some time to connect and I'll see how I can be of service. I'm one of those guys that if I can't help you, I'm a, I'm a know pretty quick and I'm a know I'm not the guy for you, but let's find somebody that might be able to assist you. And that is a, a thing that I've done my entire career. I know what I'm good at. And if I know I cannot assist you, I will get you to the proper professional to get, to get what you need. So again, the buildwealthmovement.com, feel free to check out the blog section. If you want to set up some time to just kind of do a discovery meeting to see how I can be of service, there's a contact us page at the bottom of the website. Last question. Tell people right. how, how they can generate for, for those who would like to generate passive income. Give some tips on that real quick. <laughs> In fact, this, this is like a weekly conversation with people. I'm trying to figure out how to make more money, but I don't want to work. All right, look, the reality is if it's passive income, y'all, you got to put in some work up front. Now, what you decide to do will depend on what you're into. So the biggest one that everybody mentions was passive income is real estate. And real estate, that could be the physical real estate, or that could be real estate investments, that which are known as real estate investment trust. Those are securities that you could buy in the market that produces income, like they pay a dividend. So on those same lines, you could look at real estate again in the physical sense or in the securities markets. You could also look at stocks. Some people just build stock portfolios that pay dividends. Like you don't, you know, every stock doesn't pay a dividend. But if you are so inclined, look at building a stock portfolio that pays dividends. Got to do a little bit of work, but there are some, some experts out there who really do a deeper dive into dividend paying stocks that could produce, I'll call it that passive income like we all want. I also think about Anybody who's entrepreneurial inclined who may be listening, write a book. That's passive. You write the book one time, then you just market it. So having a physical product is helpful. So maybe it's a book, you know, online courses. That's one of those is on my to-do list. <laughs> so you do the course and it's on demand, but then you just promote it. It's passive, right? You just promote it. You've already done the work. So, you know, again, it could be, you know, trying to think what else, what else, what else? Um, 
I think investment investing in something is the key for most because that that relieves us from having to do a lot of heavy lifting because now we're just putting our money up and this investment is working on our behalf. But again, if you are so inclined to produce a product of any sort, you only produce it once and then you just kind of market it and figure out how to get it in people's hands, get it in people's inboxes, whatever the product might be. So I always encourage people to think about online courses, writing a book, maybe you do merchandise, you know, again, maybe you have a store and you just kind of wear your merchandise all the time. I mean, I have a merch store that has a few t-shirts, a mug, you know, just whatever it takes. Be creative. There isn't a shortage of things that you could sell that could potentially produce this passive income. Not saying you want to do it, but getting an insurance license, you know, selling insurance is a way to, you know, once you sell these policies and these clients stay with you, well, you get a little bit of compensation every year just from those clients who kept their policy. So everybody doesn't want to sell, but those are opportunities. Uh, I'll stop there. That, that, that was probably a lot for a lot of people, but just get creative. Think about something you love to do that you wouldn't mind doing and then figure out how to monetize it. Ladies and gentlemen, the BillWealthMovement.com. Please be sure to check him out. Call him if you need him. Follow, rate, review, share this episode so we can hopefully d- disrupt financial literacy gap. Jasper, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise. I appreciate you and uh, it's been my pleasure. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.